When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA podcast. Really quickly, before we get into this episode, I wanted to mention my Patreon. Patrons get all of the podcasts a week early. I do giveaways, I do some other stuff, but most importantly, if you want me to review your music or artwork or anything else, Patreon is the way to do that. Every month, I do a call for submissions. All you need to do if you want me to review something is just post it in the comments of that post. Then I will review it live on Twitch for the hundreds of people that tune into every stream and post it on Patreon for everyone to check out. All you need to do is just join at the $10 and up level. Stay tuned for that post and you are good to go. So if that sounds cool to you and you want me to review your music, artwork, or anything else, hit the link in the show notes for this episode. And thank you very much to everyone who supports over on Patreon. Matt Shadows, that's that's what the M stands for, right? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for making time for this. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. I have a lot of questions about the new album and other things, but the first I, the first question I have to ask, the one I've always wondered, why in the world did people call you guys, quote unquote, a gay emo band back in the day, when to me, you guys look like a bunch of Huntington jocks, you're playing this like over the top, shredding progressive metal stuff, like are you guys just prog virgins in the body of Huntington chads? Yeah, you know, I don't know. We got called a lot of things uh, when we were coming up. And emo was one of those ones that always kind of like, uh, kind of hurt. Because <laughs> it was like, you know, I remember when we first did Sounding the Seventh Trumpet. And um, when we later did Waking the Fall, and I got a couple emails from some very upset fans. And they started calling us Hot Topic Mallcore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is the invention or the beginning of hot topic mall core. And then everything that kind of came with it, I think there was like Thursday was happening at the time and thrice was happening at the time. And Island records was signing these bands. It was like a big deal that, you know, some post hardcore different alternative music was going to the major labels. And um, because we came up in that scene and I'm not calling them emo or whatever, but we kind of got lumped into this sort of thing where it's like, well, you're not on Ozfest. You're not really playing metal. You're playing Warp Tour and you're playing with emo bands and you're all wearing eyeliner and black t-shirts. So you are an emo band and you are, uh, you are, uh, you know, other words that we're not going to get into, but right. we got called all we sorts all know of the words. Yeah. Yeah. We know the words. Yeah. To me, it always felt like 18 visions is the first thing that came to mind to me when I saw you guys back then, man, I love James and growing up, I really looked up to James a lot. He was older than me. He was at Huntington high school that whole crew monster crew and like what they were doing. And, you know, we would tag along to the shows with them, the earth crisis shows or the VOD shows when they come to orange County or poison the well or whatever it was. Um, but he was one of those guys that was really blurring the lines of like, he was a badass. Like that dude was in, in fights every weekend. Their whole crew was crazy. Then he'd go on stage and he's wearing eyeliner and he's like, got the scarf around his neck and <laughs> they were wearing pink and they were doing all these things. And, um, so I think, um, that was a really fun time, but they were really blurring the lines of like what it meant to be a hardcore band. And they were really putting, you know, this eccentric sort of style to orange County hardcore. It was like a different thing, right? It wasn't necessarily, you know, sick of it all or, these bands coming from the East coast, this was like, this was orange County and it was, it was a completely different thing. So it was cool. It's cool to think about that. Yeah. When I saw unholy confessions, I was like, Oh, I, I see, I see where they're headed with this. Yeah. It was like a, a mashup of orange County and AFI and uh, all right. these things that we were really, really into. Well, I always felt like avenged was kind of the band that uh, the metal dorks, said that they always wanted, meaning 
do you guys play these like crazy complex sprawling songs with you know these ripping solos you know you had you know bat country on trl i think that solo was like a minute long and that's which is absurd uh and then you're so you're you're getting all this stuff in front of mainstream audiences in the way that they said they always wanted but then when you did it they didn't want it yeah and we're and you constantly deal with that right it's you always hear those loudest voices that want one thing and by the way we'll get into this later i'm sure but everyone also wants rock and roll to be dangerous and right. then you get characters that are dangerous and Not they like don't that. want it no 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 yeah be dangerous like but how we want you to be dangerous um say things that we want you to say but if you step outside of that box then no 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 so um it's just, and, and you, and you have online now, you know, when we first started, there was no real internet culture. There was no internet. We were maybe scrolling through AOL, you know, chat rooms at the time being trolls, but we weren't in these sort of like communities where these loud voices or, or even these opinions that this hive mentality of thinking about something and, and just kind of this weird um, sort of attack culture where you, you have a bunch of people that are literally the voice of expertise when they're not experts at all about things and everyone <laughs> kind of believes it. It's a really weird thing. And, um, so yeah, we, we, we came up in a different time and it's, uh, it's interesting because we did, everyone wanted rock to be in the mainstream again, but not you guys, <laughs> not the yeah. way you're doing it and not like that. Right. And so it is what it is. Yeah. Well, speaking of the new album, um, because you guys have, you guys have always been sort of a moving target, whatever you think avenged is on this album, the next one's probably going to be something different. This album, along with the stage to me feels like this is the prog era, but I don't think that this album, which you sent me a while ago. So I've, I've had the chance to listen to the whole thing. Uh, this album definitely does feel different to me from the stage, especially like the second half of it which almost has this kind of like funky undercurrent. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which is something I never thought I would hear from you guys. And it's, but it, it works. I love that you use that word. Cause that's going to be the headline now, new album funky. And think about what that word is going to like make people think like, they're going to be like, Oh my God, like, what is this? I've, I've sent it to a few people. The thing I keep getting back is like Abbey road esque. It's just different. Huh. It's got a bunch of flavors and colors. We don't stay too long anywhere. It's like kind of like it's it's in and out. Um, it's a different mindset, completely reworked from what we think of as records and how they should be made. And what I mean by that is like the stage is a sprawling sort of vibe the whole time. It's got a it's got a thing going on. But this one, we were like, we want to we want to express ideas quickly and more concise, and we want to do things. We want to use different ways that we're using our instruments. Like a lot of people think the record's full of samples or even nobody, but there aren't any. That's all stuff we went in there and actually crafted ourselves. Um, again, you're getting back to that expert culture where they're like, this is what this is. Yeah, and that's yeah. what that is. It's like, <laughs> nope, not even close. But you've got 80,000 followers that now think that's what it is because you told them it was and it's not right, um, which is what it is. But I think this record is, it's, um, it is, Beatles-esque in the way that it's trying to do a bunch of different things and have a bunch of different flavors. That's what I'll say. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, a couple thrash metal songs and then there's these almost like funky R and B kind of songs, but it, it still feels like one cohesive thing. Yeah. It's a, it's life is but a dream, man. It's a trip. <laughs> yeah. It's so it's a lot of things without going too deep. Cause I, I know people will take some of this and just really worry themselves. <laughs> They'll be very worried. I just want people to sit down and listen to it. And I, I want them to just be shocked, take it in, be happy, smile, feel uncomfortable. There's all sorts of flavors on it. Right. And it's, I think it's, um, I think it'll be interesting when it comes out. Super proud of it. I love it. Um, but the stage was one sort of vibe, right. And mm -hmm. this, this, the vibe on this one is that you can't really get locked in anywhere. It's kind of yeah. always making left turns on you. Yeah, and I'm not one to typically suggest this, but it is it is something you need to listen to as an album. 
Like there's those three songs that kind of go together. This is not a singles kind of album. No. And that's why it was so hard to figure out what to go with first. Because there's really nothing that represents everything. And I think it all works together. But I think if you were to pull anything, you're really going to be left with a lot of questions regardless. So you kind of just got to go, okay, well, we live in a world where someone, people want to hear something first. So here's this. <laughs> and then, but really the big payoff is going to be when the record comes out, in my opinion. I think it's really interesting. You know, most bands that have been around for as long as you guys have over 20 years now, you know, typically that's the the part of their career where they start kind of, you know, most people run out of ideas and kind of get naturally, I think it's common to get stalled out at that point in your career, but you guys just keep getting more and more experimental with age. Where does that come from? I don't know. I think it's maybe a a reaction to the philosophy and being involved in this business and seeing everybody treat what is supposed to be art. It's supposed to be an expression of who you are. It's supposed to be like, I want to know what's inside you. I want to know what you're feeling. And it becomes what's radio playing these days. How do we fix, how do we get around the algorithm and how do we like get more eyes on this? How do we get outside of our fan base and go wider? How do we sell, you know, no one buys records anymore. How do we sell more merch and how do we, you know, do this? And it it becomes everything except the art. Mm -hmm. And then when you see a bunch of established bands that are totally cool with phoning it in or writing the same thing, and then we go in the studio and we like, we're like completely almost like nauseous thinking about picking up a guitar and doing the same thing we've already done or singing something the same way or doing the same sort of thing and go like, well, that's kind of like that. And that worked before it makes us sick. And so then we just start reacting to that and we start going, okay, well, what do we want to do? And then, Mm -hmm. then it's like, well, that, that made me feel weird. That was interesting. That transition is so broken that it's rad, like leave that, or that made me smile. And so then you start getting these little, like, um, sort of, I guess, pieces that all of a sudden create a greater whole of this, what the hell am I listening to kind of thing? And we want that feeling. And I've always wanted to be in the position where, and you, people talk a big game. Well, when, if we ever get big, we're going to keep doing what we want to do. And that changes. Right. I've always wanted to be in the position to say, no, we're going to just keep doing what we want to do. And I don't care what the repercussions are because once it's out in the world, let people live with it. Let it simmer. Let people feel a certain way. I think that's more valuable than people all going, yeah, this is cool, man. This is right where you left off. Cool, man. Like, oh, you're number one on Octane. This is awesome, man. Like, let's all, let's post about how many, you know, singles we have that are successful. Like, let's talk about our success. Art shouldn't even be successful. Art should make people feel something. And art like, so if you want to draw the line of like, okay, we're, we're just a band. We just want to be successful. We want to make money and we want to bang chicks. That's cool. But that's not what Avenged Sevenfold's about. Like we want to, we want to like push the limits. We want to stand outside your box and we want to make you think a little differently because that's where we are at in our minds anyways. And you guys have really consistently done that and, you know, been willing to do a lot of things that at the time weren't necessarily well-received you know, and going back to, I don't know, wearing grills and shit. And, you know, back in the day when that was like, nobody was doing that in the genre and then hail to the King and getting rid of screaming and all these things that, you know, I think of like you guys and bring me the horizon to me are like the two bands that are consistently willing to, you know, I mean, obviously you guys respect the fans, but consistently willing to be like, I understand what you want. We're going to do something different. And if you don't like it, that's okay. I actually think it's disrespectful to the fans to just give them the same crap. I think, um, and and not that it's all crap. It's just regurgitated. Go listen to those records, go throw on some AI and say, I want a record like this. They'll probably make you something in a year by from now, like take nightmare and the white album, mash it up. And then like, give me a record. Like, awesome. That'll probably exist. Um, But if you want to know where us as humans are going and you don't need to follow it, you don't need to like it. It's not, you know, you're not a, you're not a bad fan if you're like, this just isn't for me, right? Mm-hmm. And like bands, bands, there's a lot of bands that I like that have gone somewhere else. But I'll tell you the one thing that bums me out more than anything is when a band tries to give me the same thing over and over. Then I'm just really bummed out because then I'm like, not only are they not creative, but they're just playing me as a fool. Like as if I want right. to hear that again. 
Um, and so for me, like, and that's why we don't go on the same time schedules, everyone, like, how can you just say, I always have something to say and, but it just happens to be every two years that this records come out and every two years I got a creative itch. No, you're just going in there and making a record. Cause you have to make a record, like put out a record when you have something to say, when something is actually like worthy of putting out, that would be my opinion on where I see our band going. Like, are we going to do another record? Maybe, maybe not. If we have something to say, we will. If we want it to be three songs, we will. But everyone loves to take a little tidbit and go like, that's what they're going to do from now. And they've already planned it out. No more of this. It's like, how can you decide that? Like it's, <laughs> it's we live in like crazy world where everything wants to be in a box. And I think um, if you want to call your, your band an artistic expression of what you truly feel, then the box has to go away. On the other hand, you know, it's easy to say that, you know, well, if I was successful, we would just do whatever we want. But in reality, I think, you know, a lot of musicians, I think, are, you know, they're kind of insecure people that really crave validation and approval. And I understand why it's scary to take a chance. Yeah, I think um, one thing I know about myself and about our band is we feel more comfortable at war, uh -huh. if that makes any sense. Like, we, I don't think I'd feel comfortable if we didn't roll in and everyone didn't call us emos or that we thought that grills were going to be like some great idea that everyone would say, that's awesome. No, we know that, that having that sort of like, this is what I want to do. And everyone's going to think this, and we're going to do it anyways. I feel comfortable at war. I really do. I feel comfortable putting out a song and every reaction is just like, what the hell did I just hear? This is trash. Like I feel comfortable with that. Some that people don't. Well, that explains a lot about the band. <laughs> I just think it's more fun. I think it's more fun that way. Um, and I, and I also, I think life would be really boring if, if everything was just, you know, wear your uniform, go to school, get your education, get your job, be a lawyer. Cool. Have a nice day. Um, yeah, I yeah. think, I think, and as I, as I get older and the, and the more I read and the more I learn about things and the more I try to deep dive on who I am, the more I realize I, I like when feathers are ruffled. I like, I like war. Well, let's, let's talk about the most recent feather ruffling then, um, which is you've taken a lot of heat recently for having falling in reverse as direct, as direct support for your Madison square garden shows. What is your take on all the controversy around Ronnie right now? Personally, I'm team Ronnie, but what do you think? And anyone that knows me, I've been very vocal about my, my support of all sorts of these, these groups that are attacking Ronnie right now, personally, right? Whether it's LGBTQ or whatever, all these communities, right? I, I really do want everybody to do whatever they want in their life that makes them happy. I've spoken out for women's rights. I've spoken out for Black Lives Matter. I've done all these things that I, that I feel very passionately about. The thing with Ronnie is the guy is allowed to have an opinion. And his opinion ruffles feathers and then he digs his heels in and he goes hard on some of these people that are attacking him. And I've looked at all of his accusations. There's been no proof on these things. He did time for the one thing he did do. Yeah, and it's yeah. almost like the society where you can't come back out and have any sort of career or anything happen because you don't like that this guy is a, is a firecracker and he's going to, and he's going to hit back at you. It's almost like, and then you see this mob of people that just go from thing that I saw with um, Dan Donegan did like this F cancel culture guitar. Right. Yeah. And I, and I follow David and those guys on, on Twitter. They're friends of mine. Love those guys. Now, do I think that guitar was the coolest thing or this or that? No, I just, you know, I get it. Like, I think that people should speak out on things that they want to speak out on, but the mob that came in there that don't even follow him. It was like, yeah, there's, 20,000 comments of people that, and then it's like, you're a loser, old white guy, don't know anything. Like, and it was just like, this is so like counterproductive to what you're trying to get across. Because what happens is that the other side digs in even harder. And then there's no conversation to be had. If you right, talk to right. most people in this country, we all want the same things. We just have a different way of thinking we need to go about it. And so when you start silencing people, that's when you start getting the major rebellions and the major uprisings of people that want to squash that. And so what you see is like, when I got into punk rock, it was all things go. It was like gutter mouth. 
like listen to gutter mouth lyrics for a little bit <laughs> oh, and, yeah. and, and go back to what that was. Right. But it was kind of this like tongue in cheek, ironic, funny, making fun of everyone. That and band people, would, and people just roll their eyes and be like, Oh, Mark's from gutter mouth. He's an asshole. And, and that was the end of it. Oh yeah, whatever. Totally. But, but, but then, but then you go into warp tour and then warp tour started getting a lot more, um, had more of an agenda right? You'd go there and it was like less about everyone speaking what they wanted to speak. It was kind of, this is the right way to do it. And even bands like no effects, right? Now you jump to 2023 and shit's coming back up about fat Mike saying dumb shit on stage that he's always done that we've always loved him for. And now we're going to cancel Mike in 2023 because he said something to someone that, that, you know, 20, 15, 20 years ago, doesn't seem to sit right. You can't have a society like that. You simply can't. Because one day, guess what? Every person that eats meat is going to be canceled by our future selves, right? Yep, They're going to yep. be like, I can't believe it. Well, you know, <laughs> through evolution, these things have happened and, and the world gets better. I do agree the world is getting better. I want people to be able to speak their mind. But I also think when you silence people, you are doing the exact opposite thing of what you think you're doing, which is you're just going to create more people like that, that want to yep, yep. put it in your face. So I am, I'm never going to, I'm never going to be, you know, I heard this today, never going to be the pebble in the stream getting pulled down that sort of, you know, completely insane society where everyone needs to cancel everyone. I'm going to, we put Ronnie on these shows. We have more shows we're going to do with him. If you don't like him, don't show up uh, and don't show and show or show up later, but we're keeping him on the shows and he can be his own person. We'll be our own people, even though we might not agree on everything. We do believe in someone being able to speak their mind. I think that's a great way to put it. You know, to me, it's an unfortunate thing where, you know, it feels like the moment we live in is if you say, hey, uh, I, I green is my favorite color. Then people go, oh, well, you hate orange and yellow. Wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. OK, that's what we're doing. I see. All right. Well, then I guess uh, we're all just going to be enemies forever. Yeah, it's, it's really sad because most of these people I see commenting or getting worked up, we could all be friends. There's nothing, yeah. there's nothing that separate. Like, it's just, I'm telling you, intent matters. If Ronnie really hated those people, he would just say he hates those people, but he doesn't. He constantly, he just, he's not shy. He would say it if that's what he wanted. Yeah. And he, but he, but he doesn't. And he says, listen, I'm just not going to take a bunch of shit from you guys. Like no, I'm going to no. fight back and, and no one likes that. No one likes to get punched back. What did Mike Tyson say? Everyone, everyone talks shit till they get punched <laughs> in the mouth. And like a lot of these people, they, they put him on blast. He puts them on blast and they delete what they originally wrote. I mean, there was someone that someone like, didn't someone like say something and he sued them and actually won. Someone just made something up. I, I know that he, I, I'm not sure of the outcome, but I know that he did sue someone for defamation. Yeah. And you know, you got to understand, don't fuck with the bull if you don't want the horns. You know, if you come for Ronnie, he's going to come back for you. So be ready. And this goes back to rock and roll in danger. You know, Ronnie to me is a perfect character that would have been the Axl Rose or the sort of Marilyn Manson, Marilyn Manson, even Kurt Cobain. I mean, these yeah. guys were, we all love to remember the, the, the beautiful parts of the people that have passed away. But when you think about rock and roll and you think about Led Zeppelin throwing meat on the girls and you think yeah. about all yeah. these sorts of things, but no one has a word to say or Elvis dating underage girls or whatever it is. Tupac went to prison for sexual assault. Exactly. And it's not, but, but now we've got a guy that literally it's like, we want, we want rock and roll to be dangerous, but we don't. And, but, but that what happens is rock and roll will take a new form and it'll be something different. And right now it's kind of hip hop. It's emo rap, yep, whatever yep. it is. I mean, there's a danger that goes on still. And then where's everybody at? What's everyone listening to? What's yep. successful right now? That is what's happening. And this will get taken out of context because it always does. I'm not saying that is how it has to be. I'm saying this is what people react to. And when you yep. take a when you take a, a genre and cut off its balls, you get what we have going on now. I mean, there's a reason that the, you know, the news sites still talk about Tommy Lee and David Lee Roth and stuff all the time because they say things that people actually find interesting. It's not just another like <laughs> regurgitated press release. Yeah. Yep. So it is what like it is. Not. Listen, like we're, we're in the middle of it right now. Uh, we put this guy on shows. 
I know Ronnie. I like Ronnie. He's also an asshole. A lot of my friends are assholes. Yeah. And he can be an asshole. I can be an asshole, you know, and you can dislike, you know, a, a fan is totally allowed to think that he's a dick and not want to support him. But that doesn't mean that, you know, uh, he should be put on a barge and shot off into the moon. And I'll, and I'll also say we've had everything from radio stations not want to talk about our shows. We've had many bands, more than that are in the press, have had a problem or backed out of shows with us. Um, and that is their right. That's yeah. awesome. Fine. That's fine. But we are not going to give into that pressure. It's just not who we are. Yeah. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are the Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. One of the things that I find very interesting about sort of the moment that rock is in right now, you talked about sort of, you know, the danger factor. I've talked quite a bit about sort of this reluctance to like embrace anything new. So like if you look at a hip hop festival like Rolling Loud, there's a lot of people that are getting top billing or close to top billing. For example, like Lil Baby, Sweetie, Polo G that have been making music for like, you know, five years, sometimes even less. Whereas in rock, the headliners have been around for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and personally, I would like to see a little bit more fresh blood, you know, getting those headlines, getting at the top of those festivals. But what is your perspective as somebody who is one of those headliners? Yeah, we would also like to play. We feel like we we fit a little bit outside of that box. The next record is going to even be more of that, right? Where we feel that we can go play some of those alternative festivals where it's like a, just a different thing that lives outside of the 
the pigeonhole that um, kind of happens, but we would love to see, and I know Danny Wimmer talks about this a lot. I would love to see things like Post Malone or different artists headline our rock festivals, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it it brings this new blood in. It makes it more, makes it relevant, makes it cool. I don't want to be 50 or 60 years old, still headlining those festivals and just being that same band where when everyone sees it, they're like, oh, it's the same thing. But I think when you have a Metallica or a Maiden with yeah. a, a different type of band, right? Where, 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 whether it's like a Die Word or a Romstein, Romstein or something that's like, or a Post Malone or a little Uzi Vert or something that's just different and like, and, and edgy and cool. I think that's really cool. But what, what, what happens over and over, and we see this, we saw this on the last cycle and we're seeing it now. As soon as you get outside of that very narrow pigeonhole, it's extremely hard to move tickets. Yep. And a lot of times, you know, you're like, a lot of times you think it's the coolest thing in the world. And that artist is worth a ton of tickets on their own. And you're worth a ton of tickets on your own and you put it together and it's all of a sudden not worth anything. Right. Because both audiences don't want to like Lil go Uzi Vert and Avenged or and something. I think that would be awesome. I, I would love, I would love to do that. Right. And we had a bunch of like we were looking at a bunch of um emo rappers and whatever they're called now, or or these new kind of this new blood of like suicide boys, like all these sort of things we were looking at. And it's just almost like this two different worlds does not compute. Mm-hmm. You talk to the promoters, you talk and, and they don't know anything about that. Then their promoters don't know anything about us. And then it's like, then you kind of ask a couple of your friends and they're like, that'd be the best thing in the world. But you know, if it went on sale, it would be nada. And then it goes right back to, okay, pick out of your 10 bands that we know that this audience is going to go right to. And so again, it goes back to either your artist that loves war Mm -hmm. or, and, and, and you've got to make those decisions, right? I can make this much money if I go on tour with the same crap and yawn my way through it. Or I can really take a hit and everyone's going to say how much of a failure the tour was and this and that, but artistically and, and, um, you know, I know it's cooler. And these are things that, that, you know, that are constantly coming your way and they just grind you down because you want to do what you want to do, but then you keep going back to everyone kind of, and and the funny thing about the music industry, and this is a hundred percent true. Every success is their doing. And every failure is on you, you. And the thing is, everybody's on board until it starts failing. And then everyone starts throwing darts at each other. Everyone's shooting arrows in each other's backs. And it doesn't take more than a day to watch this go down. <laughs> and it's, um, it's one of those things where you just have to be above it all and just do what you're going to do and take the consequences with it and let everyone talk because everything's not going to work out. Easier said than done, though, in the moment when you're feeling the pressure, you know, you want to cave, you want to make people happy, or at least most of us do. Maybe you don't, but. Well, you just need to know who are you trying to make happy and, yeah. and what does it make you feel? Right. And so if people are willing to turn their back that quick and get off an idea and pivot and then, and then have a million reasons why something's not working, I don't care what they think. That's just, that's their job. They've, they've already turned the art into a commodity. They've already lost. They've lost my attention. So. That's where I stand on it. It's interesting how many people in the industry, whether that's promoters, you know, label people, whatever, producers, they feel like they're not very interested in music, if that makes sense. Well, you got to think what it is, right? These are corporate gigs. And a lot of these people are great people. You know, you go and have one-on-ones with them. They're great people. But at the end of the day, you got a guy above you and they go, well, why didn't that work? And they go, yeah. well, the band wouldn't do TikTok. Okay, but you know that TikTok's the only way that people hear about new music now. Why didn't you get the band to do it? Well, they don't really have a good answer other than the band won't do it. So then all of a sudden your job's on the line because you couldn't convince the band to do something that you know looks bad on their brand. But if you don't get that done, you lose your job because the guy at the top's going to go, well, we know that TikTok does X, Y, and Z. What are you doing? You got to get them on TikTok, right? And so- when they should say, well, they're not into TikTok, but here's what we're going to do instead that's working just as well. Yeah. And, and, and that's when you get creative people and they, and they work with you. And, and I have no problem with the people at the labels. I have no problem with anything. 
I just don't want to be shown analytics and tell me that's the way I have to do things and chase the ambulance all day. You know, like, don't tell me we can't release on a Tuesday because our chart numbers that no one cares about aren't going to be as good because songs turn over on Thursday, right? Like, that's great, but our plan is for Tuesday. <laughs> like, and then I'll tell you why it's for Tuesday. There's a bunch of things that are in play. I don't care about that. Or, hey, like, you need to put a 30 second teaser on Facebook. This is why. Well, I don't want to do that. I think that's lame. I'm just not going to do it. Like, so it's these constant little battles and these are not bad people. I'll say it again. These are actually really good people that really care about the success. They have families to support and shit. You know, I get it. And they care about the success of the record and the way that they see it going down is these are the things that we know work. So go do that. And when you have an artist that's like, no, we're not going to do that. It becomes like that kind of tug and pull. And that that's when we have to stay firm with our beliefs. And, and we know that if it's successful, everyone's going to, you know, everyone's going to celebrate. And if it's not successful, bad guys. You fall on the sword. Yeah. I'm okay with that. One thing you did uh, recently, unconventional thing that was super cool, was this crazy scavenger hunt that you did around, you know, announcing the new album and nobody. Um, people had to find the secret blog from the Discord link and all solve all these puzzles and mint NFTs. You walked me through the whole thing. And even with all your help, even I can't grasp all of it. And yet people figured all this shit out in like a couple days. So first of all, shout out to all the Veg Sevenfold fans for being so smart and so dedicated. Uh, but also what was your reaction to seeing them like crack all these, like honestly, really obtuse puzzles so quickly? I was very surprised after being gone for six, seven years. I was, um, I wasn't sure if anyone would care at all. Right. I mean, who has time for that? But then people got so invested that it was like, who has time for anything else? Like, we're going to figure this <laughs> thing out, you know? And I was so impressed and we have a really great team, um, called Bitflips, who does our death bats club and they do so much great stuff for us. And they took this thing on and they're, con- they're compute computer scientists, right? They're like computer dudes that know how to build this stuff out. So it can't be kind of you know, broken. And I'll be honest, we had a few things that we thought there's no way. And it was broken within hours. And then it was like, we were scrambling on the back side <laughs> going like, well, now what do we do? Like they're, they're, they're inside the gates, <laughs> you know, like they're, they've, they've brought all their, their, you know, they brought their a game. So we had a really great time for two weeks to really throwing them for loops and doing things and introducing people to free NFTs and, token gating and how things can move together and built out these really cool things. And they seem to have had a really good time with it. And I, and my whole thing is like, you just get this really cynical part of society who sits there and goes, this is so stupid. Just release the damn music, you know? And it's like, okay, well it wasn't coming anyways at the time. Like, we're not just going to drop it. This is something really fun for people that want to be engaged and like have a good time. And I think there's many people that partook in that, that had the time of their lives. They met so many fun people. They were spending a lot of time in the discords. I mean, our discord grew by 10,000 people, which is a lot for discord. Mm -hmm. We, you know, had over 350 people join the death bats club after they got used to, you know, these dealing with wallets and, you know, blockchain. Um, It really was like this almost like family building experience for a lot of people that, and like a bunch of people said, okay, we know you don't understand this. Come like, we'll take you under our wing and we'll show you the ins and outs. And it was really a, a really cool thing. And um, we know a lot of people had fun, um, really impressed with BitFlips and how good they did. You know, there's, I'm going to start doing some press on that because I think, you know, the tech world needs to know all these different mm-hmm. use cases for what we did. We, we really were web two, web three and beyond on this thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it will be looked on as a cool way to, to release the record or at least the song. Yeah. And I mean, you were really asking a lot of people like this was not trivial stuff. I was in the discord while this stuff was happening and they were viewing the source code and screen sharing and having these voice chats and stuff. I mean, like it was, it was really amazing to see, like it played out exactly how I would think, you know, you would want it to. And uh, to see, you know, for, I mean, you guys are an older band, you know, to see an older band, pull off something so bleeding edge to me was really inspiring. 
and I think the one, you know, the one thing we got from the label was it's too niche. And I'm of the belief that trying to go wide is a fool's errand this day and age mm-hmm. with how spread out we are in terms of like, there's no drivers everywhere. We're competing time economy against TikTok and video games and movies and all these things that when I was growing up, I didn't have any of that. It was, I bought a record at Bionic Records. I put it on. If I didn't like it, I lived with it for a month and then it became my favorite record because I, I couldn't just keep going forward. And, but so my philosophy is that solidify those people that care and give them the best experience. And hopefully some of that bleeds out into a different audience, but trying to go wide and trying to do these things that are very, you know, like everyone can get in this and everyone can do that. And like, let's make leaderboards and let's make sure everyone knows what's happening here. And, Oh, we had one company that we were talking to before we just did it ourselves. And they're like, we know you guys want to do the blockchain thing, but blockchain's very unhip right now. So we're going to cancel that. We're like, no, 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 we want to do that. And they're like, well, you're going to turn off a lot of it. We don't care. We're just doing just because it's not like, so if Ether's $4,500, then we can do it. But because right. Ether is down to, you know, like it just shows where people's minds are at and they just follow everyone else and go, well, we don't want to offend anybody and we don't want people to get turned off by this and do that. And that's what is so missing with not only rock, but just people taking chances these days. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the amount of energy, like people have this energy, you just got to give them a place to channel it. Like you, my wife plays, do you know that game Genshin Impact? Yeah. Yeah. My wife is like obsessed with it. Um, and uh, she watches all these like videos where people make spreadsheets, min maxing all the different characters and like have this team, they DPS at this much. And like, we should not ever underestimate or, or over whatever. Like the, the, the point is like people will geek out about something. If you give them something cool to geek out about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm a geek for a bunch of things, right? Like I play PUBG every night. I, there's things I go on YouTube and I watch about, you know, the new Zelda coming out. And like, there's things that I'm going to spend a lot of time on because I think it's so well done. And it makes me, it gives me a place to escape. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. what we did with the scavenger hunt by, by really kind of toggling the line of like, it's kind of a wink, wink. Like we're obviously in on this. We're letting you talk about it in our discord. And there's like, websites and leaks happening and we're not saying anything but we did it we went so hard in the paint on it that it was like okay this is well done this is worth my time and i'm meeting all these people that are also invested in it and again it's so cliche but i always go back to kobe it's always about the journey not the destination there'll always be another journey enjoy the journey and it's all about the friends you meet along the way and a lot of these people they're all hanging out together throwing their own parties doing all these things without us and I think that's incredible. That's a better reward than anything we could have given them. The music was coming regardless, right? It is. Right. So go have a journey. Have fun. And for the people who don't give a shit about the scavenger hunt, then they'll hear about it when you release the single and, you know, they'll be happy too. And is it really niche if you had tens of thousands of people like actively participating in this? I don't know that you can really call that niche. Well, I think what's happening with rock is they're really trying to figure out how do you get that larger audience. Like when Drake puts out a record and he did that cool, he had a great, um, you know, sort of campaign with 21 Savage on the last record, um, on her loss. And like, how do you get that attention? Right? Well, we're in a, we're in a genre right now where trying to get that attention just looks very try hard. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. and doesn't resonate. I think bands need to be more creative. We need to write better songs and we need to have something to we need to have a reason to be at the table, in my opinion, right? When I remember when Kobe was, you know, having it out with the, the, the thunder uh, back in the day when KD and like Perkins and, and Ibaka and Westbrook and all of them were on the same team heart. And I remember when Kobe was taking them out of the, the playoffs again, he said, you don't deserve to be at my lunch table. I got five rings. You don't deserve to be at my lunch table. And it stuck with me. It's like, do we deserve to be at the lunch table? Are we doing anything that creative? Mm-hmm. Are we doing anything that cool where it's like, whoa, that's rad. And now you can put on a million hip hop songs and go, you know, um, like that's trash. That's, that's not what I'm into, but they're pushing the boundaries and, and blurring the lines all over the place. If you listen to a record like Yeezus or mm-hmm. some of these things that come out of the hip hop world, 
even like Travis Scott's record with like mm-hmm. with um Astro World or what's that song? What's the first song on that record? Sicko mode. Sicko mode. Yeah. Dude, Sicko Mode was more of an inspiration for G O D on our record than anything else. Mm-hmm. Cause it's three songs in one. It's three songs and they and they abruptly and now our genre's yeah. gonna go, oh, they forgot how to make transitions. No. <sighs> No, we're, we're, we're showing you that we already know we've already painted enough paintings in our 20 year mm-hmm. career that, that, you know, we know how to make a transition. Now we're throwing out the rules and saying, we're going to actually do it in a way that makes you go, the, the fuck are you doing? Like, why? Like, mm-hmm. why did you change keys on top of the key change instead of waiting for the other one key to end? Well, because that's we what can. we want to do and cut yeah. and paste. Like, let's go, let's do some cool stuff. It makes you feel weird. So I respect that about that genre. And I respect that about all that sort of music that has a seat at the, the lunch table. And I think we need to, we need to, we need to earn a spot back there. And I think you do that by being extremely creative and you have extremely good bands that are okay to put their shit on the line. Like look at little Yachty's new record. Like, yeah, we've heard Pink Floyd before, but we've never heard it in that way with all the auto tune going to the cool notes and like all the like sort of vibe no one in our genre is doing that. No one in our genre is putting out 808 and heartbreaks. Like no one's like flipping the script. I think, and I think that's an interesting thing. Of course, this will be all over metal websites and all the people that read those websites disagree to the 10th degree about what I'm saying. But I'm, but this is how I feel about it. Yeah. Well, in 10 years, they'll realize you're right because that's always how it works. Yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> always at war. All right. Well, I have some uh, super nerdy questions that uh, I've wanted to ask you for a long time. Number one, um, I am a huge fan of Brooks Wackerman respect to Mike Portnoy and Aaron, both awesome drummers, but it felt to me like Brooks really kind of breathed new life into the band creatively. You know, Jimmy cannot be replaced, but I think Brooks to me is like maybe like the only person that really, could fill those shoes because he has those like technical chops, but also the wildness of a punk drummer. How fucking cool is it to be in a band with him? I love Brooks and I love his creativity. You know, like when we come with stuff, it's great to hear his take on it. Um, before we tell him what we're thinking and always sparks something interesting. And if we tell him to go deeper and weirder, he's got such a big bag of tricks that mm-hmm. it can keep, you know, it's like one of those things where you're like, um, what would be a good example? Like you can constantly just go, give me 50 different <laughs> interpretations of that riff. Right. Like, and then, okay. and then you, yeah. And then, and, and it'll just keep all these different styles will come out and, and flares and nuances. And then we hone it in. Right. And then we hone in what, which one made us feel the most like, Oh, okay. Like sort of thing. And we did that a lot on the stage, like listen to like that riff and higher. And he's on the on the side of the the snare, things like paradigm. That that groove was all written with with Brooks. And then you can also get him to do something that's, you know, like nobody is a is to us modern Zeppelin. It's just, mm-hmm. but we're, you know, all real drums and then the hi hat overdub. He's cool to experiment with something like that where like we know that that the that it's supposed to sound trappy, right? Right. But we didn't use a drum machine. We Brooks did it, but we overdubbed it so that the, the fills could play throughout the trap part because in trap, the symbol never ends in right. rock. The symbols stop, but Brooks is comfortable enough with himself to, to do the experiment, right? Let it be known that we're overdubbing drums with one of the greatest drummers in the world, but that's because we're going for a sound. We're not worried about the rules. That some the drummer rules. going, you didn't play that. You can't play that. Like, well, no, yeah, you're right. We're, 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 we're trying things outside of our collective comfort zone. Um, and so Brooks is great. He's a, he's a, um, truly a, one of the greatest drummers in the world. And it's awesome to have him. I mean, he's one of those people that can play literally anything from like bossa nova to death metal. Just tell him to play it and he can do it. Yep. hundred percent. Well, shout out to Brooks. Um, the other thing that I have always been curious about is your production, like the mixes, has always been very dry, which I love, especially, you know, you guys were coming up in the era when metal bands were starting to, in my opinion, get kind of overproduced, a lot of 
editing and samples and you know that has a has its place but to me your records basically sound like just the raw source tones kind of balanced in terms of levels they're almost they almost sound unmixed if that makes sense but in a cool way where did that approach come from it came from i have a very sensitive ear to drum samples and um things being run through processes it actually grates my ear I, I listen yeah. to it and I, I I understand that if you were to take a sampled kick drum and put it up a real to a real one and you put it in a track that you're going to consistently hear the sample more and it's easier to mix and it feels bigger, but there's something about the soul of Brooks Wackerman and the soul mm-hmm. of what you're seeing and being in a live setting and looking at a band, the other one just feels better to me. And as time goes on, we're starting to get more and more shit about our production but also a lot more praise. So I love it. It sounds so unique. I think it sounds unique. And the thing is when you have every band using the same sample libraries and they're running their guitars through the same modulations and the same processes, and you have everyone using the same vocal reverbs and everyone tuning their vocals perfectly and nothing Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, is in that in between and nothing really catches your ear. You start getting these really perfect sounding quantized electronic sounding weirdness that to me, as soon as I hear it, I don't listen anymore. Yep. I imagine Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven having drum samples, processed guitars, quantized to a click track and all the vocals tuned. Imagine what that would sound like. (laughs) You would take brilliant songs and they would be ruined. They would just be ruined. And then piece that with brick walling your master so that it's peaking the whole time so that you can be louder than journey or Boston, whoever else is out at the time. Imagine that that's what we've come to because a typical fan goes, I like loud. I like loud. Turn it the fuck up then turn it up. But now you have streaming where everyone's like, you never had this problem with vinyl and with CDs because you weren't playing them back to back. Now with streaming, everyone's trying to out, like loudness each other where they're trying to outdo each other with these big bombastic sounds and it doesn't work. And it's another reason why I think, and then you look at the greats of every genre, Daft Punk, completely organic record. Kanye does a lot of organic stuff. He's got Elton John in there and he's got real singing and he auto tunes when he needs to, and he, but for an effect, right? And then he's got real vocals when he wants it. And he's using all these real things. He's using real strings. He's really using real, and we're in a we're in a place now where even when a band does stuff real like us, people still think it's fake. Oh, I know what I know what sample those uh those horns came from. Oh, really? I remember being in Sony Studios recording that, specifically getting the mic deep down so that we would have the attack of that thing. But now we got expert on YouTube. <laughs> hey, I know that sample library. Okay. Like literally, we live in freaking right. crazy world. Um, but we're just going to, you know, for us production, and I keep hearing like the mix isn't good. Like I don't want a pop vocal mix. When I listen to tool, it stays heavy because Maynard's not sitting way on top while the music gets smaller. The more you bring up that vocal, one more DB, that riff becomes. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so these are all personal things that we like to do, but it's different, but we, we definitely get catch flack for it but I think it's the wrong way to go about it. I think staying organic, I want to hear the band and people go, oh, well, you guys have money and you can record drums. I honestly, honest to God, would rather hear one microphone hanging from a garage and hear that drum kit than the perfectly sampled out, you know, tone replaced, quantized fake drum set that most of these bands are going with. That's my personal opinion. I bet a lot of old James Brown records and stuff probably had one or two mics in a room yep. for the drums and 100%. it's fucking James Brown. And a lot of those punk records, I mean, they probably were mic'd up, but those things that this sounds like real drums, listen mm-hmm. to those. Like, it, like there's great drummers in punk and you can hear everything and it just sounds wild and it sounds open and it sounds like, yeah, it's, it's over the top. But to me, that's exciting. I love that. I love when a record I put it on, it has personality where I'm like, Oh, this is, I remember one of my favorite sounding records ever was, um, 
lip fast diarrhea by the vandals yeah With josh freese's drums on that that pork pie snare that oh sounds so good so good i mean we ran out to guitar center and bought a pork pie right <laughs> after that. i remember the rev we bought a pork pie and we would play with that on you know like all the time when we were playing punk bands i mean you would never get that nowadays. It'd be too afraid to put that sound in, in a record. You're, yeah, it's that's not in the rule book. You can't play those piccolo, you know, whatever those pork pie, like 10 by sixes or whatever they were. No, you, you need, even if you're now. playing this fast, you got to have the black album snare or some, yeah. you know, like things that don't even fit with the music, just crack, 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 crack. And it's like, no. So, you know, that's one of the things that I really loved about uh, your early records is there were so many layers and so much shit going on, but it was all so detailed and clear because it wasn't over-processed. Like you can hear all the details in all those drum parts, even though there's also probably seven layers of guitars and four vocal harmonies and you can hear everything. Yeah. I remember when we went to Andy Wallace for the first time with City of Evil, the fact that he could bring out every single, you could hear every single thing happening. That's mm-hmm. all we asked from him. We, we handed him like 200 tracks a song, you know, and the guy's like, this is awesome. This is cool. He never threw a sample on it. He never did anything. He, what I love about Andy is he mixes what you give him. Right. And a lot of these guys, and I know this because I know a lot of bands, you give them something, you spent two weeks on a drum tone, then they just go put the samples on that they want to put yeah, on it. Cause yeah. it's easier for them to mix. And then they give it back to you and there's no debating it. It's like, that's, that's what I do. And it's like, well, why did I spend two weeks? Like, let's not even spend any time on the drums anymore. And you're starting to see people realize that and not spend any time on the drums. Yep. I remember when I met Mudrock before Waking the Fall and he said, Matt, with the Pro Tools stuff that I have, you could kick a drum set down a flight of stairs and I can make it sound like a real drummer's playing. Yeah, well, that's, what, that's where we're at now. And that's what you're getting. And, you know, if you're a small band and you legitimately don't have the money to record drums, by all means, do that. You know, but if you have the opportunity to do something real, I mean, especially with the level of musicians that you have in the band, why the fuck would you sample replace Brooks or edit Brian? Like that's insane. It's insane, but I, and I'd even rather hear a bad drummer play real drums. Totally. Then how many punk bands sound like shit? Oh my quote god! Quote. So it's good amazing. Though. It's amazing. That whole Fat Records Epitaph era, even before that, like all the exploited and the black flags and all. I mean, that stuff was just real and it, it, you didn't think about it. You didn't overanalyze it. It was just energy. And that's, that's kind of missing. Well, speaking of punk, I've always heard a lot of that classic Orange County hardcore in what you guys do. In particular, I would say DI and social distortion, but like a lot of your stuff really, really, really sounds like DI that like old, like Rick Agnew bands, you guys have been lumped in with metal, but I've always felt like punk was kind of just as much of what you do. Tell me about where punk kind of fits into the mix. Punk was my real first love in terms of like finding music myself. I'd been introduced to, you know, Appetite for Destruction and, um, you know, Nevermind and, and Pearl Jam and all that stuff by my dad um, and radio. But when I found punk, I think the first record I got was Pennywise Unknown Road. And then I saw a bunch of signs for... Um, I remember I was listening to Pantera and all that stuff, but I remember seeing signs for Punk and Drublick. It was coming out, went to Warehouse, stole the CD with the Rev. They used to have those plastic things on them and we would take a lighter and burn them off in the corner. <laughs> oh, okay. And so stole that record and then became obsessed with the ethic or the ethos and the, the just the wildness of punk rock and really became obsessed with, Anything on Fat Records, anything on Epitaph, Fearless Records, Hopeless Records, all those record labels, right? Like everything. So it really was my first, my first love of music that I felt like was mine. It wasn't popular. I remember how crazy it was to hear Stranger Than Fiction when it came out. And then they were playing the song Stranger Than Fiction on K-Rock. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it because it was like my bands. It was like they're playing my stuff, right? The stuff I'm into. And so me and the Rev, we really toggled between Pantera, Slayer, Megadeth, Testament, Queensryche, Dream Theater. But we really went to all the punk rock shows and we were really into the no effects, the bad religions, the good riddance, the propagandies, the, you know, all those sorts of bands. And so we were living in two sort of different worlds. I remember one time we went to a punk show 
and we wore our Slayer and Pantera shirts mm -hmm. and, everyone uh -oh. was making, and everyone was making fun of us. And then we didn't realize that one of the opening acts was a ska band. And I think it was Save Ferris. And everyone was skanking and we didn't know what it was. So Jimmy ran in there and hit someone in the back and then everyone tried to jump <laughs> on him. And then I tried to push him. I thought we were like in a circle pit, you know, like I was like, we had our Pantera, like I had the Pantera shirt with the big marijuana leaf and he had the mm -hmm. Slayer shirt with, you know, some probably some Nazi character looking thing coming out of a, those metal, those metal guys from Huntington came and beat up all the punks. Well, we were so young too. all these, all these, all these ska people, the, the ska kids were, high school kids and we were like sixth seventh grade with our pantera and, and so we were just really trying to figure out the rules of what everything was because to us we were just like this big mixture of yeah you know yeah. metal blade and freaking and epitaph right but that's southern california i tell everyone i go we would have never had that if we didn't grow up in southern california because you got gutter mouth living down the street yeah, I remember rolling by the garage in my friend's house and you hear them practicing in a garage. You got bands like Donuts and Glory and you got this punk scene and we, all of us had punk bands. I don't think that happens in Ohio or maybe it doesn't happen in Texas. I don't know. At the time, it just seemed so fresh in the labels. You had Epitaph that was in LA and Fat Mike was up in the East Bay running Fat Records. It just, in Berkeley and you had Rancid and you had like Operation Ivy and Pinhead Gunpowder and Green Day coming out and it just felt like it was such a California thing and social distortion as well. Right. Like they're, they'd play 20 nights at the house of blues and we'd go see six of those nights. You didn't really do that in these other areas is what it seemed like. Well, I have one last question for you. Um, got to hold your feet to the fire on this. So you recently ranked the Avenged discography for revolver and you put waking the fallen ahead of city of evil and the self-titled album, which I think is absolute insanity. I thought your list was trash, <laughs> but you tell me why, why do you rank waking the fallen ahead of those two albums in particular? So I don't take myself too seriously, to be honest. I'm sure since you follow me on Twitter, either you get my sense of humor or you don't. And I was just feeling it that day. I was like, I would rather listen to this right now. I don't actually have a good ranking for any of them. I think the stage is the most sophisticated, but I think that if you want to rock out to something really raw, I think something about waking the fallen is just got that. Mm -hmm. I think there's some misses on the, on the self-titled record misses that bring it down a little bit. I think, um, I think city of evil gets a little too samey all the time. Like we, like we really, it's like an onslaught. I think it's impressive and cool that yeah, there's all these yeah. things happening, but I think it's a little, like a little overdone. I think hell to the King if you just want to rock out to something that feels old school, it's got the production, it's got the, you know, and then I think, um, and nightmare is a sad record that I think has some misses, but very solid. So it's just how I'm feeling that day. And I don't take any of that stuff seriously enough to even have a ranking. I just threw it out there because it, I like war. <laughs> well, how do you feel about the fact that there are Avenged sevenfold hipsters now who say that sounding the seventh trumpet is the only good thing you guys ever did. I love that. It's so good because it's <laughs> like, and, and and they were all there from the beginning, right? Right. When we were playing to five people in like Lubbock, Texas, or, you know, showing up to shows and, and literally no one was there. And the promoter's like, uh, here's 40 bucks, take a hike. But, you know, obviously classic record, but I do like the drum production on that record. It sounds real. It does. It does. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for doing this. And I'm excited to uh, see the rollout for the album. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. 
Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! <laughs> 